Well, if you got your Bibles, open up to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapters 11 and 12. And um, if you, how many of you kind of read ahead and get prepared for Sunday night? Thought I'd ask. I guess that's a negative. Nobody. <laughs> that's all right. Well, anyways, if you did read ahead, which obviously you didn't, um, you probably would have read it and thought to yourself, man, is he just going to go through a whole bunch of names tonight, you know? Because chapter 11, that's really all it is. And chapter 12, for the first part of it, that's what it is. But there is a lot of significance to what we're going to talk about tonight. And we want to, I think the Word of God is important from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. And so when you go through the entire book, sometimes you get the chapters like this and you wonder, is there a lot in this chapter? And the answer is yes, there's quite a bit that we're going to take a look at. Now, I'm not going to sit here and read all the names to you just because I know you want that so badly, uh, but we're not going to do that. But I do want you to understand where we've been going as we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. Remember, at the beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had, had spent some time in prayer. His desire was to go back and to rebuild the walls. In other words, to build up protection for the people of Israel, to make certain that they felt safe. Now, they had rebuilt the temple, but the walls were still down. They were still unprotected. There was still the possibility of an enemy coming in and causing chaos and causing problems. And so Nehemiah prayed, and then he, had, he formulated a plan in chapters 2 and 3. And in chapters 2 and 3, he actually went there. He looked at the walls. He looked and he devised a plan. And he decided that each person was going to be important in rebuilding the wall. And the best way to get people who were not really wanting to be involved was to have them build the wall by their house. Because the last place you wanted was for the wall to be weak at your house. That'd be kind of like somebody saying, well, you know, I just don't feel like replacing my front door. I'm just going to let anybody in. And so their thought was, we better rebuild the wall if it's behind our house and make sure that it's sturdy and steady. We don't want them coming in and attacking us first. So he devised a plan. It worked out well. They were able to repair the walls in 52 days finish this that seemed like an insurmountable impossible task then we come to the perseverance of nehemiah where he was attacked he was attacked from outside by Sambalat and tobiah and others he was attacked from the inside because they were levying heavy expenses upon the people and taking away everything they own he even experienced a personal attack on himself but nehemiah persevered through all of it then we saw in the last couple of weeks prosperity we began to see how god blessed the people of israel and he began to bring about revival in the land i mean they they worshiped for a quarter of the day, and then they read the Word of God for a quarter of the day. I mean, that's an amazing time of celebration, but it just, it was a progression of God continuously moving in the lives of the people, and Nehemiah was being blessed. Well, now he's got to get to our favorite part, the administrative part, right? I mean, everybody just loves the administrative parts. They just love to get down. Everybody loves the details of a plan, in particular, the appointing of different people to go to different places. And basically, that's what we come to in chapter 11. And we're going to look at two areas of rejoicing for the completed task. The first area of rejoicing we're going to look at is the people resettle the area. In chapter 11, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 3 for the, t for the time being. It says, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. 
And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now these are the chiefs of the province that dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their cities. To wit, Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the Nathans, the children of Solomon's servants. So we begin to see the people that are going to dwell in the city of Jerusalem. You say, well, why is that important? Well, Jerusalem was the capital city. One of the worst things that could possibly have happened was they rebuild a city, they rebuild the walls around the city, and then nobody wants to dwell in it. Nobody wants to be there. Now you might say, well, why wouldn't they want to be there? That's the capital city. That's where the temple was. Well, you got to understand they were given tribal allotments. In other words, certain portions of land were given to certain tribes. And if you moved off of your land, you could have just given up that land. And therefore, your ancestors had no land to return to. And so some people would actually willingly, it says, they willingly said they would be a part of the city. So by doing that, they could have very well been relinquishing the portion of land that was given. Now imagine this. If you were inherited a home from your parents... All right, imagine all of a sudden you inherit this land and there is sentimental value to it. Now, not everybody has sentimental value attached to a home, right? I I grew up in a home that if my parents would have kept it, I'd have took it in a heartbeat. Uh, My dad built my mom, it looked like a Victorian dollhouse. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful home. And if that was the house that I grew up in practically my entire life, so if if that would have been passed down, I'd have had a hard time selling something like that. Why? Because it had value to me. A lot of nostalgic memories come up when I go to that place. So these guys, they have this land. It's very important to them. Their family is tied to this land. And for them to move into the city of Jerusalem, if it wasn't called for them, they could have been giving up their tribal lands. But it was important to fill this city because they were going to need to protect what was considered the capital city of Israel, but also to protect the land that was considered the land of God. So we see there's rulers of the tribes that move in there from verses 4 through 6. Rulers of the tribe of Benjamin that move in there from chapters or verses 7 through 9. Chiefs and rulers of the priests from 10 to 14. Chiefs and rulers of the Levites from verses 15 to 19. Then we see those who dwell outside the city. In other words, there would be little villages, verses 20 to 24, where they would settle just outside the city. In other words, they were kind of a, a red alert. In other words, if an enemy attacked, they hit those little villages outside, but those people would scoot inside the walls to be protected protected at that time you also have the priests and the levites that are dwelling inside the city and so you see all these different people that god is blessing that god is placing around this capital city in order to take care of it now what's interesting when you go to verse one it mentions something else it says and the rest of the people also cast lots in other words those that volunteered to go in there weren't enough So what do they do? Well, they needed more people to go in. So they cast lots. How many of you would like to have a pair of lots? Anybody? How many of you even know what lots are? Now they're not dice. You're not shooting craps, okay? Somebody goes, dice. All right? They looked a little bit more like dominoes, all right? Now, I don't know if any of you guys ever played dominoes, but you're not going to just toss them out there. But literally... What would happen is you would usually put two things against one another. You'd cast the lots and it would say yay or nay. In other words, you'd throw them out there and it would kind of give you a yes or no answer. Not, not like the magic eight ball, right? You know, where you shake it up and you look and not at this time, things like that. But it literally would give you direction and it would be God. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33 that God directed the lot. In other words, God would turn it the way he wanted it. 
if they really wanted to know the will of God. Now, here's the thing. We don't have lots today to help us in making those decisions. We have something, you ready for this? Better than the lot. We talked about it this morning. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will open and close doors. The Holy Spirit will tell us yes or no. The Holy Spirit will guide us if we listen to him. But they used a lot to decide. And so they brought in, it says, one-tenth to dwell in the city of Jerusalem. In other words, they wanted to fill this place up. They wanted to make sure that it was a happening place. Now, could you imagine if all of a sudden somebody decided that they were going to fill up the city of Nashville? How many of you would just go ahead and say, I'm going to Nashville? Anybody? Anybody? Come on, the traffic's not that bad. Right? I mean, it's not that expensive to live there. Right? So, uh, yeah, you see what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, y'all got a real clingy to your home, right? You started saying, you're not making me go anywhere. You know, we like where we're at. We love our home. All of a sudden, it becomes precious to you. Now you can understand why they had to cast lots for so many people to go into the city to fill it up. It wasn't someplace that everybody was just longing to be. In other words, they didn't want to give up what they knew. Let's be honest. One of the hardest things for us as Christians is to move past the comfortable, right? It's to move out of our comfort zone. But if you read the Word of God, one thing you'll understand is God loves to move you out of your comfort zone, doesn't he? God doesn't want you to be relaxed and at ease. And a lot of people say, oh, well, God wants me to be happy, wealthy, and healthy. If you believe that, go to Houston. You can sit in Joel Osteen's church and listen to that mess because that ain't true. All right? That's not true at all. God wants to move you out of your comfort zone. God wants to use you to do something great. God wants to take, take you sometimes out of places where you're unexpected to see God's hand at work in your life so that others can see and know that it is God and God alone who did that for you. You see, God was bringing these people in. Why? Because they wanted to make the city their home. In chapter 12, verses 1 to 26, we see the priests and the Levites that move in there. These are the ones that would serve in the temple. These are the ones that would make certain the sacrifices were given. These were the ones that would make certain that, all, that always the altar was burning. They'd make sure that the bread was on the table as showbread. And they would make sure that the bath was filled so that the sacrifices could be cleansed. And they made sure that everything was set and ready to go. They made sure that everything went off without a hitch. That's what the Levites and the priests did at that time. And so we see all these people moving into the city. Now you can imagine this mass exodus moving into the city of Jerusalem. People are wondering, what's going on? People around the area are wondering, why are they moving into the city of Jerusalem? Why? Because they feel safe and secure, and God is about to do something great. And I'm telling you, God's about to do something great. And I'm going to tell you, we, we used to have this philosophy a long time ago in the church. We used to have the field of dreams mentality. You know what I'm talking about. If we build it, they will come. I mean, people used to do that all around. They used to come. If you saw a church building pop up, you wanted to know what was going on. The issue here was people began to see this influx going in there. You know what? People are beginning to ask, what's going on at Hillcrest? Why are so many people going to church? They want to know why. Because when people start to gather and they start to come in and in droves, they're going, what's going on there? We want to know what's happening in that church. Well, I can just simply tell you what's going on. God's showing up. God's moving. God's working. That's what it is. It has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with Travis, nothing to do with these guys over here. It has everything to do with God. That's it. We're just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody, right? I just ain't going to dance like Travis, all right? 
So, anyways, I thought it was pretty awesome. I had to watch it on video, so. But you think about it. The people were resettling the area. They saw great things happening. They want to know what is going on. Number two, the people dedicate the wall. Look at verse 27. We are going to start reading here. It says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. Why would they dedicate the wall? Why was that important? Because they recognized who it was that built the wall in the first place. Even though each person had a part in rebuilding the wall, and even though the wall was being built up stone upon stone and stick upon stick, and it was being brought together, they recognized that the only reason that wall was built like it was in 52 days was by God Almighty. God protected them. God watched over them. When the enemy tried to attack them, they were able to push the enemy away. They never once, get this, they never once showed up with sword or spear or shield to come against the walls. You want to know why? Because God kept them at bay. You want to know one of the most amazing stories to me about that? Is when the people of Israel are outside the city of Jericho. You know what God asked them to do? He asked them to circumcise every male Now, if you know anything, you can understand that there were two people uh, of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, that destroyed an entire city and killed every male in the city while they had been circumcised. Two men took out an entire city. So now you've got all the males in Israel circumcised, standing right outside the enemy's walls. That showed absolute trust and belief in God that he would protect them because God had called them to do it. And you know what? The enemy never attacked. The enemy never came out after them. Why? Because God was with them. Just as when Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall, the enemy never came after them. They professed to be coming after him. They showed signs like they were coming after him, but they never showed up at the walls. It never happened. God provided and God protected So what's interesting, when you think about this, they're dedicating this wall because, number one, they can't believe they finished it. They can't believe that God took a wall that supposedly if foxes walked up on it, as the enemy said, it would come tumbling down. But no, it did not come tumbling down. In fact, we're going to see how strong this wall truly is in just a little bit. But look at verse 28. It says, And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country, round about Jerusalem, and from the villages of Nephetai, also of the house of Gilgal and out of the fields of Giba of Asmaveth. And the singers had built them villages round about Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. What do you mean they purified themselves? In other words, it meant that they got rid of anything that could taint them from being close to God. Now, have you ever thought about that? You know, when Jacob went back to the land, he tells his family, he says, bring me here all the idols. Why? Because we're going to purify ourselves before we go back to God's place. We're going to make certain that we're right with God before we go back into the place that's considered to be a place of his presence. We want to get rid of these things that are no longer necessary. So here, the priest, now get this, the priest and Levites purified themselves. Isn't that amazing? Because what they're basically saying is simply this, even priests and the servants of God can fail. You see, you got to understand, I'm a man too, and I will fail. you got to understand. Now, back in biblical times, priests would be represented by ministers. Levites would kind of be a representation of the New Testament of deacons. 
All right? We can fall. We can fail. That's why we need you to pray for us daily so that we don't, so that we stay strong, so that we stay true. But here, these guys, they purify themselves. In other words, they wanted to make certain that they were right with God so that when they went in there to serve God, they could serve him from a pure and holy and righteous heart. But then this, it says they also purified the people. You know, there was a time where they would actually sprinkle this water on the people to help purify them. It kind of be a symbol of God's cleansing of their lives. So they purify them. How do they purify them? Well, the way they would purify them is to make sure that they had gotten rid of the things in their life that are unnecessary. Now, you know what? We need to purify ourselves when we come into God's house. You know how we do that? We repent of our sins. We lay them at the feet of Jesus, and we walk away from those sins. We want nothing to do with them again. We purify ourselves. But look at this. Here's the really neat thing. It says, and they did it to the, the gates and the wall. Why would they cleanse the city? Because they had brought idols into the city before, and they had worshipped other gods in the city before. And they wanted to make certain that this city was going to be a holy site for a holy God so that there would be nothing impure inside the city. They wanted to make certain that as they dedicated this place, it was holy unto God. I like this next verse. Look at verse 31. Then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall and appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks whereof one went on the right upon the wall toward the dung gate. And after them went Hosea and the half of the princes of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, and Meshulam, Judah and Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, namely Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechariah, and the son of Asaph, and his brethren, Shemaiah and Azarel, Melali, Galilee, Mai, Nethanel, and Judah, Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe before them. And at the fountain gate, which was over against them, they went up by the stairs of the city of David at the going up of the wall above the house of David, even under the water gate eastward. And the other company of them that gave thanks went up over against them. And after them and the half of the people upon the wall from beyond the tower of the furnaces, even upon, unto the broad wall, and from above the gate of Ephraim and above the old gate, above the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel and the tower of Me, upon the sheep gate, and they stood still in the prison gate. So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God, and I and the half of the rulers with me, and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Menamin, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with the trumpets, and Messiah, and Shemaiah, and Eleazar, and Uzai, and Joanan, and Milchajai, and Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang loud with Jezrehai, their overseer. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for the God, and it made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. Now, you're looking at that, and you might be saying, hmm, what does that have to do with anything? Can I tell you, the Bible has the first surround sound system. All right? Here's what he did. He takes half of the company he gets them up on the wall. The walls that what? Foxes could tear down, right? But now you got the whole city up on top of the wall. Half of them go to the right. Half of them go to the left. And what happens? They surround the city and they give glory to God and they sing praises to his name. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, the men are up on the wall surrounding it. The ladies and the children are inside the city walls, and they're praising God along with it. They're just singing glory to God. I'm going to tell you, man, there have been some places where I have been. One of my favorite things I've ever been to was, was a men's conference. 
And we went to this men's conference. It was back in the 90s when it had become really, really big. And it was uh, founded by the guy who, who coached out at Colorado University. And uh, he started it, Bill McCarthy. And he started this group of men that would meet. And there was like 10,000 men in this arena one day. And they started singing this song. And everybody in there was singing. Pentecostals and Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists. And we were all just singing at the top of our lungs to the glory of God. And you would see some with hands raised and some with tears streaming down their eyes. And some just shouting and some just glorifying God. And man, it was most of one of the most exciting times of my life as I sat there and just listened to all these men praising God and giving glory and honor to his name. And I just remember sitting there thinking, man, can you imagine if this is just 10,000 men, what heaven is going to be like? I mean, it's going to be amazing. We get to join a choir. And guess what? You may say, oh, brother, I can't sing. Well, trust me, if there's that many people there, they'll drown you out. We're good. You're fine. Okay. But that's, I mean, it's going to be an amazing place where we're just glorifying and worshiping God. And these guys, they surrounded the city and they praised God. But I love that last verse in verse 43. Also that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. Rejoiced. That means they had great joy in what was taking place. Can I tell you something? I know this is hard to believe, but there are people that can sing and it looks like they have no joy. Right? One of the hardest things, I'm just going to be honest, one of the hardest things, and you may say, well, brother, you just don't understand my circumstances. That may be true. I understand. But man, you, you can sing whether you want to or not. It just kills me sometimes to see people doing this during worship. You know what they're basically saying? Move me, brother. Move me. Don't ask God to move you. That's trouble. All right? I mean, why do we stand there like this? Now, here's the thing. Before I ever became a pastor, there was one lady. Her name was Gwen. And she sang at our church. And I'm going to tell you, she had one of the prettiest voices that you would ever hear. I mean, she could sing amazing. But man, she had about as much joy as a sour grape. I mean, she, she sang with a scowl on her face. She could sing Amazing Grace, and you wanted to look at her and go, what's so amazing about it? Because it doesn't look like it's changed you. And yet we sit back and we think about that, but just to be honest, there's a lot of people that are like that. We sit back and we scowl, and there's no joy, and there's no rejoicing. These guys rejoice. That means every one of them was rejoicing. I'm here to tell you, man, when we start rejoicing as a unified body of believers, our worship will raise the roof off of this building. But he goes on, he says, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. That's the thing. When you know the God I know, you'll rejoice. When you know what God has done for you, you'll shout to the top of your lungs. You'll glorify God. You'll magnify his name. And you don't care who hears. You don't care. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's kind of like, let's just be honest, how many of you are great singers in the shower? You know what I'm talking about. My son does it. He'll get in there. He'll turn on his feet. Y'all don't tell him I said this. He's going to kill me. It gets back to him. I'm going to, where's she at? Don't you do it. All right. Got this speaker. And he'll sing. At the top of his lungs. I mean, he's just going at it, just singing as loud as he can. And I look at him and go, why can't you do that in church? Why can't you do that in church? Because you want to know why? When we're in the shower, nobody sees it. You don't care. 
You're not concerned. Nobody can see what's going on. Why is it we get around other people and then all of a sudden we can become fuddy-duddies? Right? We can all of a sudden, the joy just gets repressed because we're around repressed people. Right? Man, if I get too excited, somebody might shut me down. Can I tell you, I just don't think we get excited enough. I'm just being honest with you. I'm telling you, I've heard drag races louder than this. I've heard football games louder than this. I've been to somebody's house where they got a little crazy at that football game. So I'm just telling you, we can rejoice. We can get excited. We can praise God and we can glorify his name. As we sit here, we think about it. They rejoice. Why? Because God made them rejoice with great joy. But look at this. The wives also and the children rejoice. Look at this last thing. So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. I mean, the worship was so awesome that the enemy could hear what was going on. Man, they blew the roof off of that city. They sang and glorified God in such a way that, man, they heard it all over the place. How awesome is that? Let me tell you something. I think as a church... Man, if we could blow the roof off of this place and our community could hear us praising God, I'm here to tell you, maybe come summertime, we just open up the doors and just let it go, right? Just sing it at the top of our lungs. We want them all to hear. Then I'm going to tell you, I was at the gas station today, and while I was pumping gas, I kept hearing this, boom, 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 boom. It's like, what in the world? I'm looking around, I'm like, who is playing that music. I'm pumping my gas. I'm like, Lord, please hurry and let me out of here. And boom, 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 boom. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, who has got their radio turned up? And it wasn't until the guy finished pumping gas, he put it on there. He opened up his car door. I guess he wanted to hear it while he was out there pumping gas. Everybody else was sitting there going, you know what? Here's the thing. He didn't care. He didn't care. He wasn't concerned. I probably could have looked at him and said, dude, please, for the love of everything, turn that off. And he probably would have looked at me and said, I don't have to. But let me tell you, when it comes to worshiping God, somebody can look at you and just give you a cross eye and all of a sudden, stop. Because somebody gives us a cross eye or something. I'm going to tell you, I had one time I was driving down the road. I'm going to tell myself now. I was driving down the road and I was listening to this Christian song and it just had this awesome drum beat. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm on the steering wheel. And these teenagers came by, and they're going. And I was going. <laughs> I just didn't care. I was like, man, I'm, I'm having fun in the Lord. Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. That's okay. Most teenagers think I'm crazy anyways, but it's good. you know. But I look at this, and I'm like, they didn't care. They wanted those that were afar off to hear what was going on. Man, that's the thing when you think about it. The great commission is to go and do what? Tell it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world. We want the world to hear what God has done for us. And man, when it comes to worship, don't let anybody shut you down. Don't let anybody tell you to be quiet. We need to give God the glory. But let's also look at worship through sacrifice. Look at verse 44. And at that time were some appointed over the chambers for the treasures, for the offerings, for the first fruits, for the tithes, to gather them into the, and out of the fields of the cities, the portions of the law for the priests and Levites, for Judah rejoiced for the priests and for the Levites that waited. And both the singers and the porters kept the ward of their God and the ward of the purification according to the commandment of David and of Solomon his son. 
For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chief of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving unto God and all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel. And in the days of Nehemiah gave the portions of the singers and the porters every day his portion. And they sanctified holy things unto Levites. And the Levites sanctified them unto the children of Aaron. Have you ever thought that God is worshipped through our sacrifice, through our giving to him? Think about this for a moment. Does God really need our money? Mm -mm. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's in control of all of it. He doesn't need what I have. Have you ever thought that your giving is tied to your faith? That the reason why God asked you to give a tenth, a tithe, which is simply a tenth. You ever thought it was tied to your faith to see how faithful you will be? You see, here's the truth of the matter. Here's here's how tithing goes. I just want to break it down real simple for you. God wants to see if you'll trust him to take care of you with your 90% better than you can take care of yourself with your 100%. That's a test of faith. And I can simply tell you this. God can do a whole lot more of my 90 because if he can take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000, he certainly can take two pennies and keep multiplying them if he needs to. He took care of the widow who only had oil and she had to go borrow all these containers and she filled them up and filled them up and filled them up and filled them up. Why? Because God wants to show he'll provide and he'll take care of you. He will show you again and again if you will trust him and you will worship him through the sacrifice. And a lot of people say, here's, here's the one thing that I get from people. People say all the time, well, brother, I just, I don't have it to give. Let me just tell you something. You don't have it not to give. You say, well, brother, you don't know my circumstance. No, I may not know your circumstance, but I've been broke before. So trust me, I do know what it's like to be broke and still know you've got to give to the Lord. Here's the truth of the matter. If you flip over to 2 Corinthians, you'll find a people who was broke as well. You'll find people who were excited to give unto the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8 says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. They were flat broke. They were in deep poverty, and yet they found what they could give to help out those who they felt were in a greater need than themselves. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because they trusted that God would provide. And we can worship through sacrifice. One of the greatest examples was Jesus himself in Luke 21. As this widow passed by and she threw in her two pence, which equivalent of about a penny. She threw it in and Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. Why? Because she gave out of her poverty. He knew she was going home to absolutely nothing. And yet here's the, you look at that story and you say, well, what happened when she went home? I'll tell you what I believe happened when she went home because we don't have the story. God provided for her needs. God took care of her. Why else would he tell that story if he didn't plan on taking care of that woman? Why else would he share about her poverty and giving out of it if he wasn't planning on providing for her? He shared that story because he knew what she was going to be doing when she got home. He was going to give her everything she needed. You see, God wants to see if we will trust him. God wants to see if we'll believe in him. God wants to see if we have faith in him. But when we trust him, we will give him our all. Give him our all. There's worship to be had in sacrifice. 
I ask you tonight simply this. Is there a reason for you to rejoice? Is there a reason for you to rejoice? I'm going to tell you, I, I go home excited all the time when I leave church. I really do. I mean, I'm excited to baptize two more this morning. Uh, got another one next Sunday. I mean, I'm just, I mean, it's, it's amazing. The one that's being baptized next Sunday, he's just going around telling everybody, I'm getting baptized, I'm getting baptized, I'm getting baptized. Man, that's exciting. That is exciting. Man, do you have a reason to rejoice? Has God taken care of you? Has God provided for you? Has God blessed you? Man, if we have something to rejoice in, the people ought to see the joy on our faces. I'm here to tell you, one of the, I'll end with this. One of the things that kills me is a joyless Christian. You want to know why? Because that's an oxymoron. You cannot be joyless and be a Christian. You just can't. And yet you'll see people that walk around with a scowl on their face that just seem to want to tear people down and destroy them and, and talk about them. And I just sit back and think to myself, you need to get saved because you don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart. Man, I'm here to tell you, when you got joy, the way God has saved you and changed you and loved you and still cares for you in spite of your mistakes again and again and again, I'm here to tell you, you got something to rejoice in, something greatly to rejoice in.